Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 21 of the 7 a.m. Novelist March March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, we hear from writers Shalene Gupta and E.B. Bartels about how to conduct interviews and blend personal stories with your research. Good morning, you two. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on the show. E.B. Bartels is a nonfiction writer, a former Newtonville books bookseller, so she is a godsend for all of us writers, and she's also a, Gub- a Grub Street instructor. With an MFA from Columbia University, she is the author of Good Grief on Loving Pets Here and Hereafter, a narrative nonfiction book about loving and losing animals, and her essays and interviews have appeared in Salon, Slate, WBUR, Literary Hub, Catapult, Electric Literature, The Believer, and The Rumpus. E.B. lives in Massachusetts with her husband, Richie, and many, many pets. Shalene Gupta has a master's from Columbia Journalism School. In the past, she was a reporter for Fortune, where she wrote about the intersection of diversity and tech. Her work has appeared in Harvard Business Review, ESPNW, Kirkus Reviews, and many more. Uh, Before working as a reporter, she taught English in Malaysia on a Fulbright scholarship and wrote a book documenting the history of the Malaysian Fulbright program. She also co-authored, she's got a lot of, she's busy. She also co-authored the book, Power of Trust, and she's currently working on a book about severe PMS, and she is also revising her YA novel that she worked on in the Novel Incubator. Okay, just a few books going on there, Shalene, right? Just a couple. (laughs) Okay. So we're talking today about how how best to interview people, interviewing techniques, and then how to blend uh, personal stories in with your research. And and we have both two experts that are going to talk to us about this. Um, Shalene, why don't you start us off on the conducting interviews aspect? Uh, What are your best practices? Absolutely. So I just want to start off with interviewing is helpful for everyone because as a novelist, I used to think that my brain was broken. And I didn't have a very good imagination because I couldn't picture anything outside of myself. So all of my characters were just variations of me, which led to incredibly bad writing. Uh, Then I discovered interviewing, and that is a way to get to know people and bring information and disparate lives into your writing. Um, I'll actually pause here because I know that I just spoke for a long time, but Evie, I wondered if you wanted to weigh in on that. Oh, I totally agree, Shalene. I feel like I'm always telling people to do research and talk to people, regardless of if you're writing fiction, poetry, nonfiction. Um, it's also a really helpful way to procrastinate from writing. You can always do more interviews. <laughs> that's always my my feeling. I don't know about you. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the first question, because so how what are some tips in terms of how to make sure that the interviews aren't like completely dominating your writing time? Yeah. I think I could interview people forever because I'm fascinated in learning about stuff. So Shalene, what are some tips for that? It's a really good question, actually. So I'm going to, I actually have the opposite approach where I love writing. Uh, I do not like researching. So at my first, um, both in journalism school and then at my first job at fortune, I was constantly being pushed to interview more because I'll just put that off. I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people. Like it scares me. I just get extremely anxious Um, and I want to hide under my desk. And I remember um, this award-winning journalist sitting me down and she was like, Shaleen, you want to commit to doing a lot of interviews because that gives you choices about material. When you've over-interviewed, you can pick the best story. And that was a real game changer for me because I used to do like the bare minimum. It's like, all right, I've got a structure here. Um, I actually push myself now to interview 
as much as possible. And then what my professors told me at Columbia was when you start hearing the same material and start feeling sort of tuned out and bored and disengaged with the interviews, not that you're ever bored with someone sharing with you, but when it feels repetitive, that's when you're, it's time to cut yourself off. But Evie, I'm curious what you have to say as somebody who actually uses interviews to procrastinate and loves them. Yeah, I love that. I've actually, I've never heard that tip before, but I think that's really helpful because I, I find I get very like, um, I don't know, nervous and I'm like, I have to keep doing more interviews because I'm going to miss the best story if I don't talk to every single person. But like, what I found really helpful to keep in mind is one, you cannot talk to every single person. So my book is about, you know, people's experience, uh, experiences losing and, and grieving their pets. And I wanted to interview every single person who'd ever had a pet, which just was not possible. Yeah. So I found I had to tell myself, okay, this book is going to be a collection of the people I happen to get to talk to, which is not everyone in the world. And I, weirdly find comfort in reminding myself I could have written like a different version of this book probably like 50 different times right with just the information I got and also all the other people who are out there in the world who I didn't get to talk to so I think like for me reminding yourself you can't interview every everybody and learn every single thing and just reminding like okay this is going to be one specific interpretation of like the information I found and my take on it and kind of leave it at that um, I also just find having deadlines really helps me, which honestly is why I first sold my book based on proposal, because um, otherwise I feel like I would have just kept writing or researching forever. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I feel like since I've been teaching the novel form for so long that I need to read every single novel that exists, which is obviously too difficult. Um, so Evie, to go back into that, so if you have a hard time, so you even said, um, you can use interviewing to delay writing. So do you find that um, you could just interview and interview an interviewer and you have to kind of tear yourself away to get start get the book started, get the writing started? Well, sort of, though I'm someone, and Shalene, I want to hear what you, yes. your technique, sorry, Seymour, of course, has decided to be very loud this morning. Um, So I like to actually do a bunch of research and then I find I start to write and then I often will notice, oh, like one example in my book, I interviewed some veterinarians for my book. I started to write the chapter about the veterinarian experience and I realized, oh, all the vets I spoke with had only been vets for 10 years or less. I was like, I need to talk to somebody who's been a vet for like 30 or 40 years. So then I went back and I did more research. So I'm somebody who kind of likes to move back and forth and like notice the holes in my writing and then go do more research. Though I know, like I've heard Susan Orlean speak and she is very much like, I do all my research before I put any words on the page. Um, but I think it depends often maybe what you're researching. So my topic was a very like, broad sort of survey book while I know what a lot of Susan Orlean writes is really narrow like interviewing one person or one event so maybe it's easier to do all that research and then start writing but I, I don't know Shaleen do you find you move back and forth or do you try to do all your research up front and then start writing I find this fascinating I'm glad you brought it up because um I I did the same thing that you do EB but I used to think that there was something wrong with me because I have found that the writing does sort of improve if I get to a point where I've like integrated all this knowledge into my head and then I write, but frequently I'm toggling back and forth. So there's a way it sort of dries up and academifies my writing, which 
at the moment, my editor is kind of on my back to be like, make it more conversational and more colloquial. And it's like, well, this was written under the gun and under deadline. So, um, and that's something I'm struggling with because now I'm just re-looking at my draft and really trying to focus on the beauty of the language um, and the craft part without the research hanging over my head. And I just kind of wish I had a little more time for that. My draft is due in 10 days, by the way. So I'm a little frenetic. <laughs> she's, she's in the, in the good panic stage. So two things um, that you were talking about, uh, Shaleen, that I want to know more about. So one thing is, I think it's interesting. You say you have to push yourself to interview. And so I feel like for my teaching, I kind of put on a, okay, here we go. A kind of persona. And I wonder if you're, it's kind of a persona you put on maybe, is that part of it or you know this is the the Shaleen interview person um or how do you push yourself like how do you how do you manage that for introverts I think most writers are introverts absolutely I always have to gear myself off a little bit before an interview I'm always nervous and I have to remind myself that the person being interviewed is probably more nervous than I am right um, the second is you know I feel like a really good interview is one where you don't talk that much and I think the biggest um issue that I see novice interviewers make is that they talk too much, they get nervous and they they try to fill the silences. And I actually have a really good friend who's an incredible reporter and he's a really awkward, kind of shy person. It's really hard to have a conversation with him. But he's an amazing interviewer because he just stops talking. And then people tell him everything because they want to fill the silence. I find myself telling him all these things that I didn't mean to tell him. And then I'm just like, oh my God. Um, yes. Shaleen, it's so funny. In my notes for today, I have in all caps, let silences hang. This is so hard, but it's true because I, I always want to make people feel comfortable. And so if there's a silence and it's a little bit awkward, I'm someone who wants to jump in and immediately like say something else to, to make people feel better. But if you don't do that, sometimes the person you're interviewing will jump in. So that's like one of the best tips I, I ever got. And I also find that, um, yeah, making sure you're not dominating the conversation. And, and Chalene, I also don't love talking to strangers. Like all the time when I was like setting up interviews for my book, I was like, why did I choose this profession? You know, where I have to like cold call and email people. But I find something that helps me too is remembering that people are probably more nervous than I am because this might be the first interview they've ever done. And also like, you know, you have to respect that people are giving you some of their time and, you know, sharing that with you, but also people love to talk about themselves. And so many people I interviewed for my book, like the veterinarians, they were like, this is so exciting. No one wants to know like details about what I do every day. So I think remembering that people are often really excited to share what they do if they really love what they do. That's such a good point. Uh, if I'm currently writing this book where I'm interviewing people on their menstrual health and mental health, and many of them have dealt with um, suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, being institutionalized. And at the end, they usually say, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Nobody really wants to hear the story. That's great. Because what I was wondering is, you know, there's one thing to talk about the death of your pet. I think people will want to talk to strangers about that, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, but what that is, and Shalene, what you're talking about, you know, is, is probably more of a culturally difficult topic for particularly women to talk about. Um, but you're saying that people actually, you, how do you make them feel safe enough or trust you enough? Or is it part of that silence? I actually think, and Shalene's a, a fellow Midwesterner, I think um, silence is, can be really powerful for that in silence and patience, but how do you, how do you draw them out or how do you make them feel safe 
um, talking about more difficult topics? Or, or do you find that they really do just want to share the story and you don't have to work it that much? It's a couple different things. So in the case of this book of severe PMS, I happen to also have the same diagnosis. So it was really easy because I would start with my own story and I would go deep. So I would feel bad for interviewers because like within two minutes, I'd be like, here's my story and I'd lay it all out. But usually they'd be nodding along. So I didn't shy away from the hard parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sort of bred a like, I am one of you. I get it. I'm not going to judge you. Um, but, you know, I've also had to do stories where I don't have that experience. For example, for The Atlantic, I wrote a story on being Black with a disability. Uh, I have, I do not have a visible disability. I am not Black. Um, and I would just start out with like, it is an honor to write this story. Uh, you can clearly see that I'm not Black and I don't have a visual I don't have a visible disability, but this is a doubly marginalized population. And the last thing I want to do is get this wrong. So please feel free to step in, to correct me. This is your time. Uh, And I really tried to just set that mood with my facial expressions, my tone of voice. Um, and, And some people would step up and correct me or jump in and say something. And it was not comfortable. And I just would say, so sorry. I hope I didn't hurt you. I hope I didn't put you in a position where you felt uncomfortable. And I think that created a lot of safety and trust. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And Evie, did you find that in some people it it, it became a little bit more difficult to, um, because at that you can feel like you're overstepping or that you're going somewhere that they really don't want to go or talk to, or they haven't talked to anyone about that stuff. Yeah, I I found a lot of people similar to Shaleen often, you know, after I interviewed them were like, I've never spoken to anyone about this before, or I was really embarrassed by the grief, the level of grief I felt when my pet died and were hesitant at first to share. I did a similar technique, though, to Shaleen, which is not it's not a traditional journalistic technique, but sharing like. I am a pet owner. Here are all the animals I've lost. When my dog died in college, I missed a week of classes. You know, like sharing those things, I think then immediately made people more comfortable to want to share their own story. And they felt like, okay, I'm talking to, you know, someone who gets it, who's been there, as opposed to someone who's just prying into a really sad, hard part of my life. I also, Shaleen, I wondered um, how you found your interview subjects, because for me, I tried... And if you're writing about something that's a a difficult topic, I kind of let people self-select if they wanted to speak to me. So I would put out like a call on Facebook or Twitter and I would say like, hey, I'm looking to interview people who have gotten a memorial tattoo to honor a pet that's died. Like if you or someone you know has gotten a pet memorial tattoo and want to speak to me for my research, let me know. So then people could either comment themselves and be like, oh, let me text you photos of my cat tattoo Or someone maybe would tag a friend and be like, oh, if you're interested, you know, you should talk to EB. So I found it was, I was letting people come to me. So then I felt a little less guilty too about asking like really hard questions about sad parts of people's lives because I'm like, well, they at least wanted to talk to me. It's trickier, I guess, if you're writing like, like I know like Patrick Radden Keefe has written some incredible profiles of people for the New Yorker who did not speak to him or would not speak to him. And that's trickier when you're writing like about like the Sackler family. And there's like, for me, I was like, I just need to speak to kind of any pet owners who are interested. So Shaleen, how did you find your, your people that you spoke to? It was pretty similar. I I feel like you're, if somebody doesn't want to talk to you, you're not going to get the interview. Like there's, yeah. there's very little you can do. 
or even if you get them to grudgingly sit down with you, it's going to be short, they're going to be unhappy, and then they're going to try to negotiate with you at the end in terms of what you can and cannot include. That was another thing that I did. I did say to people that I would be happy to give them anonymity if they wanted that. Um, and I also did agree, this is not common journalism practice, but it is permissible for a book. I checked with my professors three times, but you can show an excerpt uh, for a book and that really helped people. Um, and it was funny because a lot of times it wasn't the hard thing um, that they wanted removed. Sometimes people had no problem with like, yeah, I was institutionalized four times after trying to kill myself. Um, they wanted things like, please take out the part where my mom was just not there for me or take out this part. And it was like, fine, no problem. It didn't affect the quality of the writing or story being told. Yeah. Um, so lots in lots of case, not with the Sackler interviews, but showing your own vulnerability in order to, to open up the vulnerability for someone else. Um, we have a very good question in the chat. Um, Evie, why don't you start us off? Can you share examples of how interviews helped you develop a character or untangle a plot point in your novels? So, or, or, or basically how you, um, um, since you've mostly worked in, in nonfiction, how you combine those interviews with your personal stories that you also want to tell. Sure. So, um, you know, even though I'm not writing fiction, I actually found my interviews did sort of untangle or help me develop like my own character on the page or realizing something about, um, you know, like I interviewed a lot of parents who told me stories about when a pet that primarily belonged to their child passed away and how hard that was for them as a parent to watch their kid go through that. Suddenly it hit me more what my parents' experience was, you know, of, of watching me mourn pets when I was a kid. And so it's interesting. And Shaleen, you mentioned this before too, like even if you don't end up quoting every single interview in your final piece of writing, which trust me, I tried. My editor was not happy. She was like, Evie, you cannot quote every single person you spoke to. Um, and I really had to pare it down. Um, you know, all those interviews, none of them are pointless, right? They all sort of shape your thinking and how you're approaching your story and your characters. So I think that's important to keep in mind. So like, even though if you do a three hour interview and you only quote like one thing or nothing, I still don't think it's a waste of time. Um, but to blend them together, I found like, um, and you know, Shaleen, you can talk about this more with writing fiction, but I found something that is, um, really tricky is figuring out the right voice because I, in my first draft of my book, I, my book is a mix of personal stories about my own pet loss. And then the, um, you know, information I got through interviews with other people or reading about the history of pet grieving practices around the globe. And I found very much, I had this very conversational personal tone when I was sharing my pet stories. And then I would switch and put on this voice that was like, and now let me tell you about my research, which didn't really work. It was very jarring. And actually the very first draft of my book had sort of alternating chapters where it was like personal story, research chapter, personal story, research. And my editor was like, people are going to get really invested in one or the other, and then like just skip <laughs> the other chapters. So, um, I, what I worked really hard to do was try to figure out ways to kind of organically tell my story and fold in like each chapter starts with a personal story and then moves more into the research, but I do go back and forth. So like I'll mention, you know, something I learned through research, but then, you know, talk about how it reminded me of something that happened with me. Um, 
And I found the most helpful thing for me with that, honestly, was reading stuff out loud because I could really catch then, oh, wow, okay, I just totally switched tones suddenly, like the words I'm using are very different. And, you know, my poor dog Seymour heard like my whole book read out loud to him probably like five times. Um, So that I found was a really helpful thing and honestly is the biggest pitfall, I think, to fall into when you're kind of trying to blend these two different styles. Um, Shaleen, what was your I mean I know you're you're still actively in the middle of it right now so how's that going uh yeah everything you're saying is singing to my soul I just reread one of my chapters and I was like oh god who let me like get away with that but in terms of novels I actually approach it from two different ways which is so one just generating sort of basic information um so there was a novel I was working on where my husband was born and brought up in Zimbabwe And I conducted tons and tons of interviews with him, his family members, his friends, just to get a sense of what they were dealing with. And then once I had all of that information, I started forming this plot of how I would structure what happened and their stories. And then I would go back whenever I hit a hole and I would conduct more interviews in terms of, you know, what am I missing? How do I visualize the setting? COVID put that novel on hold. But there's a second way that I also integrated interviews into characters. And that was, um, you know, once I had a character written, I actually went back to somebody of that demographic book. So I had a character who was a young gay man. Uh, I am not a young gay man. Um, So I called one of my friends and I said, this is the character. Here's my plot. Um, What should I be thinking about? And he came up with this wonderful list of questions I'd never even thought to think about and he was just like well how does this character relate to men what's his relationship with his father what about straight men in his life how does he think about masculinity and it was enormously helpful and that is something I try to do now whenever I'm writing outside of my own identity which is practically every character that I write so because right. I'm bisexual so and then I did um for this novel about um forensics that I did that I'm still finishing um I interviewed a lot of, of, of policemen and lawyers that are involved in homicides and, and involved in the whole forensics field. Um, and I, I took tons of notes, but I, what I also found helpful, in this for novels in particular, because you're not usually quoting exact things, is that you put those notes to the side You've drunk in that world a lot. You've absorbed that world as much as possible. You put those notes to the side and you write through that kind of experience or that that basically pool that you put yourself into. So it's it's more of a kind of experiential. It's more about, you know, you, you've actually surrounded yourself with those t- sorts of people, that, that sort of um, atmosphere, that sort of environment. And you can write from that instead of just, um, feeding off your notebooks, which I think in a novel form can get you a little stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So other questions, um, Evie, do you, are your interviews by Zoom, phone, interview, emails? Are you record, how do you record them? Those are all great questions. Yeah. So here's some really like just basic hardcore, uh, interview tips. Um, Always record your interviews, especially when you're doing nonfiction, um, you know, to have those to refer back to if a fact checker wants to see your recordings. It's really important to have them. Um, And I always try to use two different devices. I have had really bad luck. So I try to I often use like the voice memo app on my phone and then also maybe 
on my computer or I have a little like Olympus recorder thing that takes like two AA batteries. Like it costs like $10 and it was one of the best things I've ever purchased. So always doing two recordings on two different devices. Um, And then I find too, trying to take notes while I do the interview helps because then when I'm trying to sift back through this long recording, um, you know, then it helps if I'm like, oh, Shalene mentioned, you know, I don't know how much she loves hamsters. And then I could kind of like Google in the Google, sorry, search in the transcript um, for hamsters. Um, Also, Otter is a transcription software that really like saved my life because you can upload um, an audio file and it will make a transcription. It's not perfect. Um, Like it never gets my name right. It's always saying Phoebe or Mary, um, but like it will get like at least the majority and then it will sync up the transcript to the audio file so if you're like that looks funny you can kind of click on that part and listen to it and and finesse it so those are some great things um so a lot of my book was um a lot of the re- the interviews i did before covid i tried to do in person when possible or i would do on the phone if i um was far away from the the source um, during, I then did revising and did more research during COVID. And unfortunately, most of that was then over Zoom or the phone. I find if you can do an interview in person, it's often a lot more intimate and personal. And I find I remember the interviews I did in person better. Um, but Zoom is really great because you can see people and feel like you're connecting with them a little bit better. Um, and then sometimes people are really busy and we're just like, I want to answer questions over email. So you can do that too. So generally when I would reach out to a source, I would say, if you have time, I'd love to come meet you in person. If not, we could find a time for a phone call or a Zoom interview, or I can email you some questions and try to just let them direct, you know, what worked best for them and what they were most comfortable doing. But like by far, like one of the my favorite interviews I did for my book was I got to shadow um, this blind gentleman and his dog for like the afternoon. Like we walked all around Watertown together and like, I'll never forget that. Like that was an incredible interview that I did. So in person, if you can, but Zoom and Zoom is awesome because you can just record it within Zoom. So you can record it on Zoom and then also have like your phone going on the side as an emergency backup. Shaleen, what about you? Enjoying those experiences of of walking around with it because you you might feel like, oh, I'm wasting all this time. But even if even with historical research that you're you're making contact, you're enjoying those experiences with with people and what you're learning. It's just it's kind of a human connection thing in that way, even if it doesn't go into the book. Yeah, Shaleen, how do you manage that? That was such an awesome overview, Evie. Um, So actually, I just peeked at the Q&A. And someone had a couple other questions. So Victoria Buddha, um, I think the couple points that um, Evie didn't cover was, you know, how do you credit interviews? Is there a contract? Um, and who do you approach? So in answer to that, first in terms of approach, uh, I always find this to be the hardest point, which is why I get lazy about my interviews. Um, I find it really useful to find an organization, go on Reddit, start just Googling people. Um, but usually you, you, if you find an organization and there's somebody in there who can connect you, there's usually like one person who just knows everyone. And once you hit that person, you've hit gold because they'll open doors for you. In terms of crediting, um, it depends on what the person wants. Um, I try to be really careful about that because some people do want their full name. Other people don't. At the same time, I'd um, just advise um, people to remember that 
you are using the interviews to serve your book. And I always get torn up about this because I'm like, somebody gave me their time. I need to include their story. You don't have to. Like you, ha- you, you need to serve readers at the end of the day. And sometimes that means not including an interview. Um, and then in terms of a contract, I have never used a contract for either journalism or nonfiction writing. However, I did have a friend whose publisher required her to get clearances from the people she interviewed. Um, so I would just check with your publisher, but in general, no, I've never done that. Yeah, Shaleen, I was taught that at least um, in grad school in New York, like as long as you had on the record, usually what I do is I start an interview by saying, are you okay if I record the interview? And if they say yes, I say thank you. And then I start the interview. And then once it's recording, I say, can you just tell me your name? I usually say your name, your pronouns, like what would you like to be referred to as like your title, like author, pet owner or whatever. And then can you confirm you're comfortable with me quoting you or using anything you say, you know, on this recording for my book and my publishers felt like that was enough but I also know people who've had to get releases as well um and I also fact checking fact checking is another question we've got oh fact checking oh my god (laughs) (laughs) uh um I see the story from Julie Butters by the way thank you everyone for joining us um I I am the queen of slipping little errors into my work. So I actually, and I have been spoiled by magazine writing where they will have one, sometimes two fact checkers for you. And the amount of stuff they've turned up about mistakes, like I don't trust myself anymore. I'm just going to flat out say that. Uh, I hired a fact checker for my nonfiction book. I am grateful that I hired her. It was really helpful. Um, I see Julie is asking specifically, um, what kind of fact checking did I do about people's own experiences? Mm. When people were telling me their own life stories, I actually just took it at face value, but I would use the words frequently. They said, they told me. Um, So then it's clear that this is something that's coming from them because I conducted over a hundred interviews for my book. I didn't necessarily have that ability to go back and verify everyone's single individual story, even though I suppose that's that's best practice, but in terms of practicality. I'm curious about how you think about it, Evie, actually, because fact-checking is just... Uh... Yeah, so um, I did not hire a fact checker, and a really fun thing is publishers do not pay for fact checkers. I know, I bet. So crazy to me, like magazines will do it, but like on a book that's going to exist forever. Um, So I did my own fact checking, and I had a really awesome copy editor who basically also sort of fact checked a lot of things. He kept flagging things like, is this true, or is it, are you sure of this? So That was how I approached that. But yeah, similarly, I didn't fact check people's stories. I didn't confirm whether or not people really did have a cat for 20 years or whatever. I trusted that. And I used a lot of those phrases like, you know, Shaleen told me or shared with me that, you know, so it kind of gets you off the hook a little bit. Um, But that's a really that's a whole other Zoom call. I think. Oh, my God. Evie, we should talk about this. But I will say. There were some interviews I did not use because the person did not strike me as credible ah. or struck me as just, I just didn't want to take the risk. There were enough yeah. red flags. So I was just like, well, let's not go there. Um, and Evie has included a lot of helpful tips in the chat. I'll try to include those in the show notes, but just some smart ones. Don't ask yes or no questions. Um, don't ask questions with Googleable answers. Um, 
you know, ask questions that you can only get the information from them and not from others. So a lot of really good tips there. And I'll put those in the show notes as well. Okay, we're going to have to wrap up and get these folks to their writing desks. Uh, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find the podcast version of these seminars on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that you can, uh, so that other people can find us too. So ladies, are you gonna be able to get any writing done today? My book is due in 10 days. I better get some writing done. <laughs> Shailene's like, shit. Ah, <laughs> and Evie went to a concert last night, so she might take a little nap before she gets some writing done. But how about you, Evie? I hope so. I'm working on actually revising my book proposal for book number two. So wish me luck. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Very excited for both of you to get those deadlines done. Um, and for everyone else, I don't know what time it is from where you're listening, but I have a feeling that it is time to write. <laughs>